Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. This morning we are going to be studying the most famous prayer in the Western world, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. It's really the Disciples' Prayer. Folks who've never or rarely darkened the doors of a church know this prayer by heart. Others in the Western world say this prayer over and over multiple times a day. Uh, I remember um, when I was a high school student, I was playing on soccer team, and our, our coach wanted us to always say the Lord's Prayer before a soccer game, kind of like a good luck charm kind of thing. You know, we, He'd say, let's gather to pray, and it didn't mean, hey, let's get around and share prayer requests and talk about our needs and what's going on with our family, anything like that. He, he wants to do the Lord's Prayer, and so he would select one of the players to start it, so one player would start, and we'd all huddle up like this, and somebody would say, Our Father. We all join in, Our Father, who art in heaven. And as we went on, we'd, we'd get faster and louder. You know, it's Our Father, who art in heaven. How be that? That can go, ah! And we just kind of degenerate and forget the rest of the Lord's Prayer, and we go, Go, Tigers, kill them. Yeah, amen. <laughs> you know, and I, I mean, even as a high school kid, I remember thinking, You know, I just, I just don't think that's what Jesus is thinking. You know, I, mean, I, I don't think that's how, how he intended this prayer to be used. But in all fairness, this is actually a community prayer. It is a community prayer. If you look at the account in Luke, when Jesus' disciples came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray, like the Pharisees and John's, the Baptist followers, they have a prayer. They have a community prayer that sets them apart and identifies them as a certain group of followers. The Pharisees had their 18 benedictions. Apparently, John the Baptist group had their prayer. The disciples come and they say, we want our prayer. You know, we, we understand that, that we're taking on our own identity and following you as Messiah. Give us a prayer. So Jesus gave them a community prayer, but he gave them something that was far beyond that. He gave them a, a template or a model for how generation after generation after generation should pray. And, you know, it's not an exhaustive prayer. It isn't covering all of the bases of prayer, but it is kind of directing our general thinking about how we approach the Father. So I want you to begin reading with me in chapter 6 and verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. When you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. And then he gives the model prayer. But the model prayer is set in the context of a broader discussion of religious practice. Notice chapter 6 verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. And what he does is he goes on through and he talks about several different religious practices, so to speak. He talks about giving and prayer and fasting. And in the context, he gives what I would call some, some don'ts and do's. Okay? Things that you should do in your religious practices and things that you shouldn't do in your religious practices. Specifically as it relates to prayer, Jesus says, pray sincerely. Pray with sincerity in your heart. Verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. 
Have you ever thought to yourself, is it, is it actually possible to pray wrong? Can you, can you pray wrongly? It's a verb, right? You should pray, can you pray wrongly? Can you, can you be praying and sinning? Well, sure, you can, you can do this whole thing wrong. You can, you can really mess it up. Jesus says there's a right way to approach God and there are wrong ways to approach God. He says, when you approach God, don't do it like this. Don't do it like the hypocrites. The hypocrites. A hypocrite was one who wore a mask. Somebody who was pretending. Jesus says that's not the way to approach God. Approach God instead with sincerity. Don't fake it. Because God knows absolutely everything that's going on in your life. The opposite of hypocrisy, wearing a mask, is sincerity. It is openness. In Greek, the word for sincerity is literally, it's a combination of two words. It means uh, judged by the sun. Judged by the sun. It's a, a word that's very rich in imagery. The idea was that there were unscrupulous pottery makers in the ancient world. And after they had fired a pot, if it came out and there were cracks in it, they would fill the cracks with wax and then they would paint over that pot. And an unwise, unsuspecting buyer would go in, purchase that pot, take it home, fill it up with something warm, or put it in the oven, and the pot would fall apart. And so the wise buyer would go into the marketplace and hold it up to the sun, and it would be judged by the sun. We are judged by the sun. God sees in us and through us. He knows everything about us. And so Jesus says, don't pray like those who are putting on a mask and think that you can hide anything from God. Pray as if you are judged by the Son. Pray with sincerity. Pray with honesty before God because he knows everything about you. Second, pray humbly. Pray humbly. The hypocrites stand. When they are before God, they are standing and their faces lifted up. I want you to keep your place here in Matthew and turn back to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. It says, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. He's got some in his audience and, and he wants to just stick his finger in their eye, right? He's just coming straight at them. There's some of you standing out there and he says, and, and I'm, I'm going to provoke you a little bit here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. And Jesus' audience hears that and they say immediately to themselves, ah, okay, we know where this is going. Pharisees are righteous. The tax collectors, those are the ones who collaborate with Rome and they steal our money. We know where you're going with this one, Jesus. But his parables never turn out that way, do they? There's always a twist. So he says there were two who went up to pray. One was the Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this, to himself. Okay, notice. He's standing. He's in control. And he's praying not to God, but to himself. He's a hypocrite. He is praying for show. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this man over here. That one. The tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all I get. I'm a righteous man. 
But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was unwilling to even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee is standing, proclaiming his own righteousness. But the tax collector recognizes his position before God, and he is bowed in humility. And I have noticed in my own, in my own spiritual life that even the, the posture of my body can not just reflect what's going on in my heart, but it, it can actually affect it. It can determine it. I can change the posture of my body, and it's, it's like a reminder of who I am and who I am before God. When I bow my head, when I get on my knees... I fall on my face. It's hard for me to feel proud in front of you right now. So I stand. So I can get that back. You ever tried it? I've encouraged you before. I encourage you again. Get alone before God and be on your face. It's hard to stay proud when you're on your face before God. It's hard to stay proud when you're, you're, you're on your knees before God. The Pharisee was self-righteous. He was a hypocrite. He was playing a game. And so he stood before God. The humble man bowed his head. And his body posture reflected what was going on in his heart. I want to give you a couple illustrations from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. But as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence for you. Psalm 95, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us humble ourselves because he is a great God. That verb in Hebrew for worship and bow down is better translated, let us bow down in worship. It's a word for worship in which the the implication is we must go low before God if we are to worship him because he is great and we are not. What Jesus is doing is he is reorienting our perspective toward God as he is. Powerful, effective prayer before God understands who God is and who we are relative to him. Pray sincerely, pray humbly, and then Jesus says pray secretly. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus says, But you, instead of praying on the street corners, you instead praying for show, Go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is not here outlawing public prayer. I mean, we just did some of that. I did just a few minutes ago. I don't think I was in sin praying in front of of you. Nor would you be if you stood up here and prayed in front of others. He's not saying that that's Sin and only secret prayer is good. What he's saying is the essence of your spiritual life is between you and God. And God wants you in his presence. So go into his presence. And don't be distracted. And you can't be doing it for show when you are alone and quiet. And no one knows. Find that place. Last week we talked about it. Find that wilderness. Find that closet. Find that place where you can go. And you know that you're not doing it for others. As Jesus talked about giving He said, don't give for show. Don't sound the trumpet first and then put in your donation. Look at the size of that. 
check. Look at the size of that donation. He said, when you fast, don't look all sad. Don't look all gloomy. Don't, don't walk around all, oh man, I just haven't eaten forever. I'm just so, he said, no, 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 you're missing the point. Take a shower, clean up, anoint your head with oil. He says, go out and let no one know because this is between you and God. Go into his presence and be with him in secret. Pray sincerely, pray humbly, pray secretly, and then pray respectfully. Verse 7. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words, so do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. When you're praying, don't use meaningless repetition. That word for meaningless repetition means to speak without thinking. Okay, to speak without thinking. Jesus says that's how Gentiles pray. Why? Because they don't actually respect their gods. They don't think much of their gods. They fear their gods. Their gods might withhold rain or might bring floods might bring pestilence. They fear them, but they don't respect them because their gods are a lot like them. They're, they're, they're petty. They are finite and fragile. So they have to pray and they have to keep saying the same words over and over and over again because they might need to get their God's attention. Their God might not be paying attention to them. Or as you saw in the, uh, you've seen before in, in Elijah's battle with the prophets of Baal, it's a great illustration of this. Because those prophets are, are, are on Mount Carmel and they're, they're praying and they're praying the same things and these incantations, these chants over and over and over and over again. They just keep pe- repeating the same things. Why? Because they can't seem to get Baal's attention. So they cut themselves to get Baal's attention. And Elijah mocks them for that. He says, you know, yell louder. <laughs> Maybe he's taking a nap. Yell louder. Maybe he left for vacation because God's need a break. Yell louder. Maybe... He went into his inner room, which is a euphemism for the toilet. Maybe Baal's on the toilet. Wake him up. I mean, it's crass, isn't it? That's what Elijah's doing. Again, he's just, let me just needle him a bit. Yell louder. He's taking a nap. He's on vacation. He's using the potty. Go get him. He says, don't approach God like that. Why? Because you don't have to wake him up. He never slumbers nor sleeps. You don't have to get his attention. He sees all things. You don't have to scream to get his concern because he loves you. So bring your request and you can bring it over and over again. But engage your mind and your heart when you do so. See, prayer is relationship. That's all that it is. Prayer is relationship. It's communication in an intimate relationship. And you don't need to badger God. Imagine, husbands, if you came home from work and you spoke like this to your wife. If you badgered, if you walked in the door and you said, honey, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home, I'm home. It's dinner ready, it's dinner ready, it's dinner ready, it's dinner ready, it's dinner ready. You know, just a word of advice. That's not, I mean, it's a great intimacy, you know. Probably frustrate her, anger her. She'd say, well, did you take out the trash? Take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash, take out the trash. Take out the trash. No, did you do the laundry, do the laundry, do the laundry? Well, get a job, get a job, get a job. I mean, you know, it's just, ah. You say, no, no, you don't do that with God because that's not what he's like. 
What Jesus is doing is he is reorienting our perspective toward who God is. What is he like? Verse 8, he says, Do not be like them. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you even ask him. He knows. But he still wants you to come and express it to him. Because he loves you. So don't pray like this. Instead, Jesus says, pray like this. Here's your model. Here's a model prayer. Again, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't cover all the bases. But here's here's what it could look like. Read with me verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Model prayer does three things. First, it honors the Father's position. God is our Father. God is our Father. I I personally think this is what most arrested the disciples' attention because Jesus prayed to God as a Father. What does that mean? Well, there are four things. I realize there are only three up there. I'm going to get to the fourth in a minute, right? I'm I'm aware. That's just three. I have four. Okay? Four things. What's the implication? God is Father. It means that he provides us security, he provides for our needs, and he gives us intimacy. I also recognize that in our day and age, there are a lot of folks who don't experience this or haven't experienced this with their earthly father. So, someday I'm going to write a book. I want to write a book someday. I think that'll be fun. I'm going to write a book about this. I'm, I'm thinking actually we may do a sermon series on this as well, because this is huge. This is huge. It is so difficult for so many people in our culture today to really understand and relate to God, to grasp God because they didn't have it modeled in their own father. And so we have all of these misconceptions based on what we have experienced. And we need to start over and let God renew our mind. What is a good father? Well, God is perfect in his fatherhood. It means at least these things. He gives us security. We are safe with him. We are safe with him and we belong to him. And once we say, God, We need you. And he grabs hold of us. He never lets us go. That is absolute and utter security for eternity. We're secure in God. He provides for our needs as we cannot provide for our own needs. We need him. He grants us intimacy. A healthy intimacy. God is open. He is available. He is love. He is love. Our Father is also in heaven. It's the fourth thing. He's in charge. He's the authority, and we are accountable to him. We are responsible to him. And God's authority does not contradict the intimacy that he offers and provides, nor the security. All of these things are true in our Heavenly Father. See, I knew that my dad loved me. And I knew that he'd love me forever. And I knew that I, I disrespected my mom. I was busted. I mean, I would get it. I'd get it. I'd probably get it some from mom and I'd get it twice from dad when he got home from work. I mean, it was a real threat when mom would say, just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> and then smile. 
It's, it, it's going to happen. It's coming down. Why? Because dad's dad and dad's in charge. And he doesn't love you any less while he's disciplining you. In fact, he loves you so much that he disciplines you so that you will learn to respect your mother so you will respect your wife someday. So he's going to train you because he loves you that much. Okay, this is our God. This is our God. This is who he is. And this is what Jesus, again, is reorienting our perspective toward God as God is. Because we can't pray to God as he is if we don't understand who he is and know him as he is. And so first, he says, we need to honor the Father's position. He is Father. He is Father who's in heaven. Second, what are the Father's priorities? As I begin to see him as he is, he begins to reorient my values toward his values. Read with me chapter 6 and verse 9. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three petitions. His name, his kingdom, his will. Jesus says, ask for these three things, but the three are actually one. They're all focused on one thing. Jesus says, hallowed, Father, be your name. I don't don't use hallowed much. It, It means holy. I don't use holy much either. That means set apart. Unique, distinct. Be your name or your character. God, may your character, your personality, who you actually are, let it be known. Let it be set apart on this earth. Ezekiel chapter 36. The Lord is speaking. He says, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Name is his character. Name is who he is. He says, I will vindicate it, which has been profaned among the nations or treated as common. Not holy not unique, not set apart, but really just like other, the, the other gods. You have treated me as common. You've profaned me in their midst. Then the nations, all the Gentiles, they will know that I am Yahweh. I am that I am. I'm the only I am. I'm the only self-existent one. I will not share my glory with, the, with another. I am. The nations will then know that I am hallowed, holy, unique, sanctified, set apart, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their midst. And, and really the, 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 the gist of this prayer that Jesus is saying too is, let your, your reputation be known on earth. How? Through me. May I be an accurate re- reflection, God, of who you are and what you love and what you value. God, make it happen. I like the way that the message translates this particular verse. Eugene Peterson wrote, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. I think that's a good paraphrase. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you actually are and do it through me. So three requests, his name, his kingdom, his will. We can't pray rightly to God if we don't know God. If we don't understand who he is, his personality, his character, we don't relate correctly to him. This past week was Valentine's Day, which I hope it's not like new news to anybody today, but it was Valentine's Day last week. You know, on Valentine's Day, uh, I came home with a gift. I did not come home with a fresh bouquet of broccoli, right? (laughs) I came home with a fresh bouquet of flowers. My wife, she loves flowers. I know that about her. 
I don't know why ladies you like fresh cut flowers because they're going to die. I always think, well, how about a plant even? You know, you can keep watering it or sticking it in the ground. It keeps living, but whatever. This is what she loves. And so I brought her fresh cut flowers. I know the kind she likes. I brought her dark chocolate because not only does she like dark chocolate, but the kids don't like dark chocolate. So I brought her something that was for her because I know her. Not broccoli, but flowers. Not milk, but dark. I got it. You can pray to God and really communicate deeply with God when you know him, you know his name. Who is he? Jesus says, let his name be known. This is, all of it, in a sense, a kingdom prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your reputation be known on the earth. Let your kingdom come. Let your reign be established on this earth. Because right now there's a lot of rebellion. Let it come, Lord. Let it come. Revelation chapter 22, our Bibles end with this. He who testifies to these things says this, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The early church prayed Maranatha. That was one of their prayers. They didn't want. They say, Lord, come. Let your kingdom come. Because the suffering church doesn't love this earth. And the early church was suffering. They were losing their property. They were losing their freedom. Imprisoned. They were losing their lives. They were being displaced, so they were moving from family and friends. They were separation. They were experiencing poverty. They were experiencing all kinds of hardship, and so they didn't love this world. They weren't longing for God to simply give us a little bit more of this world. They're saying, God, invade, please. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Reestablish your kingdom on earth. Let your will be done on earth now as it is in heaven, because we know in heaven right now, no one resists your will. They submit to your will. No one in heaven is rebelling against your authority. They're bending the knee and they're worshiping God. May that happen on earth as it is now happening in heaven. This is an eschatological prayer. It's a kingdom prayer. It's it's a values reorienting prayer. It's saying, church, don't love this place. Love what's coming next when the Lord returns and live for that. That's the heart of of what Jesus is saying is reorient yourself toward God and who he is and what he loves and toward his kingdom. Those things are big. So this model prayer first honors the father's position, second, the father's priorities, and then third, it honors the father's personality, who he is. Read with me verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What is God like? Three things that Jesus highlights. Our Father loves to give. Our Father loves to forgive. And our Father loves to protect. See, we're praying as a church, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. But he might not come today. <laughs> might not come tomorrow. And if he doesn't come tomorrow, well, then we need to eat. And so God says, tell me about that. I, I know before you ask, but I want you to ask. I want you to express how much you need me. 
I want you to know that you need me. And I want you to ask and keep on asking. I want you to knock and keep on knocking. Because I want you to be with me. Ask. See, an inescapable characteristic of childhood is that we can't provide for our own needs as children. Right? My children cannot provide for their own needs. I like to remind them of that sometimes. You know, I, I, I know it says fathers don't exasperate your children, but once in a while I just kind of like to needle them just a little bit. So, you know, I, I remember we're going through the grocery store line a few weeks back and it's time to check out. And I just turned to my son and I said, Hey, hey you want to get this one this time? <laughs> you want to pay, you want to buy the groceries this week? No, dad, I don't. I, I've done it to him for, you know, in gas, I fill up with gas and I lean in the window. I said, either you want to pick this up. You want to pay for the gas this week? I know they can't pay, right? And they know they can't pay. I just want them to know that I know and that we all know that they can't pay. (laughs) That I can. I I got it covered because I'm the dad. I got you. I got you. You can't pay the mortgage. You can't pay electricity. You can't provide water. You can't provide food. But that's okay. I love to give it to you. I also really like it when you acknowledge that. (laughs) Right? That's what God says too. He says, Come to me and ask and ask and ask. It reminds you that you need me. And it makes your heart thankful before me. So Jesus says, say to God, give us our daily bread or our necessary provision for this day. Day in and day out. God, we need you. He loves to give. He loves to forgive. Forgive us, Father, our debts our moral obligations to you because we know, we know that Christ paid all on the cross and we don't, we, don't, we don't pay for that any longer, but day in and day out, Father, we want to remain in fellowship with you and we have debts. And we know that our debts are affected, our intimacy is affected by the way that we treat others and do we forgive them. We'll talk about that some more in a few weeks. And he loves to protect Lead us not into temptation, I think should be translated, lead us not into testing. Remember from our study in James, testing and temptation are the same word in Greek. I think Jesus is saying, lead us not into testing, because God does not tempt, but God does test. And Jesus is just actually coming out of testing, Matthew chapter 4. He went into the wilderness led by the Spirit. God allowed him to be led into testing. And Jesus says, Ask your father, lead us not into testing, but if we get there and we are in the wilderness and we are being buffeted, deliver us from the evil one. Let us crush him. Let us deal a blow to him. Please don't lead us into testing, but if you must, then let us win. Provide for our needs. Provide for us. And whenever Jesus prayed, he prayed to God as Father. All the recorded prayers that we hear him, he pray, he's praying to God as Father, except there's one prayer in which he doesn't address God as Father. Remember what it is? Just one. He's hanging on the cross, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he's bearing the sins of the world, he says, My God, my God. This morning, if you are bearing your own sins and you've never allowed Jesus to take them away, you can't address God as Father, actually, because he's not your Father yet. I'd encourage you, the most important thing that you could do this morning would be to come to the Son, to Jesus, and say, 
Jesus, thank you for removing the debt of my sin. When you do that, that barrier between you and God is removed, and you can now address him as Father. Not maybe as a father that you experience, but as the perfect heavenly father who gives you security and provides for your needs and gives you intimacy as well as accountability and authority in your life. A perfect heavenly father who loves for you to come into his presence and ask for all of your needs. Who loves to reorient your entire life toward the things that genuinely matter. His will. His kingdom. On earth. Now, what do we do with this? I remember we said so we want to um, not just talk about prayer over the next few weeks, but we want to practice prayer. I'm going to give you a few moments just to silently go before the Lord. And I would encourage you to, to pray this. Maybe something else laid on your heart, but here's a thought. So we go before the Lord. Let's pray this. God, reveal yourself to me as Father so that I can pray rightly. I ask God to, to clarify what that means, that he is a good and perfect Heavenly Father. Let's take a few moments silently before the Lord and then we'll close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you have made us through the work of Jesus part of your family. We acknowledge that you are our holy and awesome that you are transcendent, that our best thoughts of you fall short, and yet you have chosen to draw near and you, and you love us, and you let us come boldly into your presence because of Jesus. And so we, we come again this morning and we say, God, thank you, thank you that we can call you Father. I pray, Father, for each of us that you would reorient our hearts and our minds toward you as Father, that we would enjoy coming to you with our needs this week. Father, I pray that you would reorient our our priorities and our values to the things that actually last and are important and valuable, your kingdom, your will on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we thank you most for Jesus, removed the debt of our sin and gave us life that lasts forever. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week communicating with the Lord.